We've been chosen. We have been redeemed through the blood. We are sealed up in Jesus, guaranteed by the Holy Spirit of God. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened and that you may know the hope of our calling, our rich inheritance. Hallelujah. And we are witnesses. Far above all worldly rule and authority, powers, dominion, and every title and office now and to come. That is the church. Not because it's useful to governments and social justice organizations. No, the church is the hope of the world because the world is subject to the church. Dies to itself for the sake of the world. The church dies to itself for the rich and the poor. The church dies for every luxurious seaside resort in Florida to every dirt floor shanty in the slums of Port-au-Prince for the sleek pursed lips of the privileged to the yellow jaundiced eyes of dying babies. Defend the orphan and the widow. Subvert the powers and principalities. Every knee shall bow, every tongue confess, and Jesus is Lord. Rise up. Guards, make sure the prince doesn't leave this room until I come and get him. Not to leave the room, even if you come and get him. No, no. Until I come and get him. Until you come and get him, we are not to enter the room. No, no. You stay in the room and make sure he doesn't leave. And you'll come and get him. Right. Right. And we're to do nothing apart from stopping him entering the room. No, 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 no. Leave in the room. Leave in the room. Yes. All right? Right. Oh, hey. Um, if, 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 if he, I mean, if, if, What is it? If, um, if, 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 uh, if we... Look, look, it's quite simple. You just stay in the room and make sure he doesn't leave. All right? Oh, I remember... Um, can he leave the room with us? No, 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 you just keep him in here and make sure... Of course, we'll keep him in here, obviously. But if he had to leave the room and we went with him... No, wait, no, wait, no, you just keep him in here. Until you or anybody else. No, not anyone else, just me. Just you. Get back. Get back. All right? Right. We'll stay here until you get back. And uh, make sure he doesn't leave. What? Make sure he doesn't leave. The prince? Yes, make sure oh. he doesn't leave. Well, of course, him. <laughs> I thought you was talking about him, and I thought, well, that's a bit daft, you know, having me guard him when he's a guard. <laughs> Is that clear? Oh, yeah, perfectly clear. Right, no problems there. Right. <laughs> Where are you going? We're coming with you. You could spend a lot of time wondering this morning what that has to do with anything we're going to talk about. Uh, Don't waste your time. I'll just let you know when it comes up. It's going to be real fast, so if you missed it, then you'll have to ask somebody sitting next to you. Uh, In the spirit of fun, I did want to let you know we're going to be camping together as a church the last weekend in September. So, yeah, some applause for that. 
Um, so uh, if you would like to go on the Jackson County Parks website, we're just going to be down the road at Lake Jacomo and uh, reserve spots. Most of the spots you see reserved there are us. So just get anywhere where there seems to be a mob of people. We'll have a great great time of fellowship. Uh, I have a lot of activities that week I have to come and go to. So do you. That's just fine. We'll just come and go from there and spend our evenings or afternoons there enjoying fellowship with one another. If you just hate camping with a vengeance, um, you can come in the evenings, I think, for $5 a car and visit. Sometimes they don't even charge you that. So it would just be a good time for us to hang out and and have some, some time together. So keeping the spirit of fun going here. I want to start out this message talking about heroes and villains. So I'm going to show you some characters on the screen. I'm going to ask you who they are. Then I'm going to ask you, is it a hero or a villain? And then I might ask you a trivia question about them. Are you ready? All right. Who's this guy? Well done. Hero or villain? Hero. Hero. Very good. And if Popeye's getting the beat down, what does he need? Excellent. All right. Who's this one? Dracula. All right. And uh, hero or villain? Villain, and if this guy's trying to steal your fiance, what does he need? Well, from her, what do you need to do to him? Stake through the heart, right? And if you had like eight things run through your mind, you watched too much Buffy the Vampire Slayer. All right, uh, let's, let's just do a little more recent one. Who's this? Frozone, right, from Pixar's uh, The Incredibles. All right, hero or villain? Hero. And if uh, the air is too dry for his ice power, what can fix that? A little sip of water will do. Thank you. Okay, who do we got next? Magneto. All right, hero or villain? Villain, good, good. Now, I mean, he's doing the right thing, but he's doing it the wrong way. That's a villain. Let's all be clear, church. All right, and if you want to keep this guy in prison, it needs to be made entirely of plastic. All right, well done. And we got another one, a low-hanging fruit here for you. Superman, hero or villain? Good. And uh, if he wants to stay strong, what does he need to avoid? Kryptonite. Good. And apparently some carbs. All right. And going back to 1984. Now I hear him gremlins, but this particular one has a name. Stripe. Well done. And uh, hero or villain? Nasty villain. And uh, if you don't want 10,000 of these running around in your town, you need to keep them away from? Who said food after midnight? That's how he became that. But if you don't want him to multiply water, I think that was HQ question number three on trivia this week, right? So, uh, yep, maybe you don't play that game. All right, good. (laughs) Keep him away from water if you don't want him to multiply. All right, so heroes and villains. Heroes and villains make the story easy to follow. If it's a good story, it should be pretty easy early on to label the hero and villain so you know who to root for. In movies and cartoons and comics, It's good to make sure that the heroes get what they need and to make sure the villains get defeated. Much easier to navigate these things in movies and comic books and cartoons, though, than it is in real life. What do you do in real life when there's a controversy, a conflict, and it's not so clear who's the hero and who's the villain? What do you do, for instance, when two parties greatly disagree, they're upside down with one another, but they're both earnestly trying to follow God? What do you do with that? Like, say you're an adult, and then you have your parents, and you disagree, you know, about going to church. Maybe they don't like that you come to this church. Maybe you don't think very much of their church. Uh, Who's the hero or villain in that story? What do you do if you have Christian in-laws and uh, something that they do you don't think is very Christian or something that you do they don't think is very Christian? 
You know, maybe you drink a beer after you mow the lawn and, and they don't think that's a very Christian thing to do. Maybe you play Star Wars role-playing games and they don't think Christians play role-playing games or watch Star Wars. They're wrong, but that is a, um, maybe that's a little easier one. Um, who's the hero and villain? Uh, maybe it's between you and your spouse. Maybe it's between you and your spouse trying to raise Christian children and, and you disagree about how much helping them is nurturing and loving and how much helping them is enabling and destroying their work ethic. And of course, what do you do in a congregation where we constantly have to grapple with the word of God and then all these issues like immigrants and foreigners and LGBTQ plus people and raising money for ministry and evangelizing this community in the world. Hero and villain labels don't fit so easily in family or church family. What do we do when everyone involved genuinely wants to follow God but sharply disagree? That'll make you feel like you're stuck in the upside down. Everyone wants to do what's right, but we sharply disagree. And we both believe that the stakes are very, very high. Maybe even life versus death. Maybe even heaven versus hell. What do you do? Our scripture this morning has a lot that will help us, but uh, there's a lot of cultural things going on in Acts chapter 11, so we're also going to get some history lessons along the way. So we're going to study, and I hope learn together how to navigate upside-down controversies with Acts chapter 11. So let's start in verse 1. Soon the news reached the apostles and the other believers in Judea that the Gentiles had received the word of God. But when Peter arrived back in Jerusalem, the Jewish believers criticized him. You entered the home of Gentiles and even ate with them, they said. Well, now what's the big deal with that? You have to remember historically uh, in the time of Jesus and shortly after. Jews believed themselves to be God's chosen people. And, and they are, but in their time, they thought chosen meant most loved. They thought chosen meant uh, most righteous people, God's favorite people. They believed that the Messiah, for those that awaited a Messiah, was coming to subjugate the earth and place it under the rule of Israel, an empire of the Messiah. That's why so often Jesus would say, don't tell people I'm the Messiah, because they're thinking of that definition, and, and I'm trying to show this other one. They believed that the, God was going to use the Messiah to turn the world right side up, bringing them from the bottom to the top of political power. And this term Gentile that got thrown around, that is just simply means everyone in the world who's not Jewish. And many Jews at that time felt that Gentiles should be strictly avoided, lest they... Um, poison you with their immorality, lead you away from God, lest they tempt you to follow their godless ways. So news has reached the church in Jerusalem that Peter was off here in Caesarea. He's an apostle of Jesus, that he not only met with Gentiles, but he stayed at their house for several days. And that probably also means he ate their food. So let's go pick up in verse four. Then Peter told them exactly what happened. I was in the town of Joppa, he said, and while I was praying, I went into a trance and I saw a vision. Something like a large sheet was let down by its four corners from the sky and it came right down to me. When I looked inside the sheet, I saw all sorts of tame and wild animals, reptiles and birds, and I heard a voice say, get up, Peter, kill and eat them. 
Now, this is all referring to Old Testament Jewish food laws. So last fall, we did a series called Knowing Jesus Through the Old Testament. And I did a whole message on the Jewish food laws called Why Jesus Broke the Law, Food Laws and Sacrifices. So if you'd like to hear the long explanation of food laws and Christianity, go back to our podcast from October of 2017 and uh, look for that one on Knowing Jesus Through the Old Testament on food laws. Here's the short version. In the Old Testament, God laid down very, a very strict list of foods that Jews could eat and not eat. And things like pork made the top of the list of unclean food. Don't eat that. Now, if you look at the whole list, the whole menu of what was on and what was off, uh, you quickly see that it doesn't have much to do with modern health or nutrition or anything like that. It had to do with Jews living separately from Gentiles so that they did not mix with their culture, mix with their morals, and most importantly, mix with their pagan gods. So Peter has gone over to a Gentile's house for dinner and the other Jewish Christians are worried about that. Peter, you might have eaten unclean food prohibited by the Old Testament. To which Peter says, I know, but let me tell you my story. I was up on my roof. I fell into a trance. I had this weird dream. This sheet comes down from heaven. It's filled with unclean animals. Then the voice of God tells me to kill and eat them. We pick up in verse 8. No, Lord, I replied. I've never eaten anything that our Jewish laws have declared impure or unclean. But the voice from heaven spoke again. Do not call something unclean if God has made it clean. This happened three times before the sheet and all it contained was pulled back up into heaven. Just then, three men who had been sent from Caesarea arrived at the house where we were staying. The Holy Spirit told me to go with them and not to worry that they were Gentiles. These six brothers here accompanied me and we soon entered the home of the man who had sent for us. So Peter's having to defend himself for acting on a vision of God to the church. This is a very discouraging story, and, and here's why it's discouraging. Because you have to remember that back when Jesus walked and taught, he was also harangued constantly by opponents for hanging out with the wrong sorts of people. You remember these stories. And Jesus would always answer those accusations saying, yeah, that's right, I do. I have come to give sight to the blind, to bind up the broken. I've come in to heal the sick, Jesus said. I didn't come for the healthy. I came for the sick. And I came to make this nation into a church, a light, a city on a hill that will give light to the whole world. So what Peter's doing seems like he's just trying to fulfill the mission of Jesus. And now he has opponents. But this time they're from within the church accusing him of hanging out with the wrong sorts of people. I mean, it was one thing to have prejudice from outside the Jesus movement attacking Jesus and his disciples. But now we're going to have it from the inside? Is the church really going to be ruined in its first few years by prejudiced villains from inside the church? Well, let's see. Verse 12. These six brothers here accompanied me, and we soon entered the home of the man who had sent for us. He told us how an angel had appeared to him in his home and had told him, send messengers to Joppa and summon a man named Simon Peter. He will tell you how you and everyone in your household can be saved. As I began to speak, Peter continued, the Holy Spirit fell on them just as he fell on us at the beginning. 
So what's happening here? The Holy Spirit fell on them. They spoke in other tongues. They spoke in languages they did not know before that moment. This has happened once before, just like this in a room, when the first church, when the church first started, back in what we call the Sunday of Pentecost, 50 days after Jesus' resurrection, the wind swept through the room and they all began to speak in languages they did not know. Okay, speaking in tongues, I know is super hard for many of us. Um, it's still a sign of God that you see in the church throughout the world, especially in the churches of our Pentecostal and charismatic brothers and sisters. Some of you are completely comfortable with that sign of God. Some of you are completely freaked out by that sign of God. So I, I, I'm going to ask us not to get bogged down in that today. Let's say this. That 50 days after Easter, speaking in tongues was a sign that God was at work in the world through Jesus and the followers of Jesus. And that happened in a room full of Jews. Now it's just happened again in a room full of non-Jews, room full of Gentiles. The same miracle of God that happened as the church began has now happened again as the church is now spreading across the Roman world. How is the church going to react to this? The Holy Spirit falling upon people who are not from their race. Can the upside down be turned right side up? Can Peter win against villains and prejudice? Verse 16. Peter says, Then I thought of the Lord's words when he said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And since God gave these Gentiles the same gift he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I to stand in God's way? Peter had a vision three times. Peter saw a miracle of people speaking in other languages. And now the church is questioning his motives for doing what he's doing. Peter knew God was at work. He had seen the visions. He had heard the voice of the Holy Spirit. But those folks in the church in Jerusalem... They didn't see all that. They just thought Peter was out there hanging out with pagans, eating unbiblical food. Before long, he'd be following other gods and worshiping idols, just like their Old Testament ancestors had done when they got too cozy with Gentiles. This has happened before. It's called the entire story of the Old Testament. Today, it might be bacon he's eating, but tomorrow he might be bowing down and burning incense to the Caesar of Rome. That's their accusation how easy it would have been for Peter to say, you know what? Forget you people. I do not need you. You bunch of villains. I'm going to start my own church today. And we're going to be a church that's about following the visions of God. But Peter doesn't do that. First, he invites six other Jewish Christians to travel with him to this Gentile's house just to see whatever it is that's about to happen. Then when Peter finds out that back at headquarters, they're not happy that he's had this meeting and stayed in this home, Peter himself goes to Jerusalem to explain what has happened, even though he's pretty sure they're not going to like the explanation. Why does Peter bother? And why does he put himself through that? Because Peter understands a few things that I think we often forget and the scripture is reminding us of today. Peter understands that he alone is not the church. He's not even a church. 
Jesus didn't make Peter the church. When Peter said, you are Christ, son of the living God, he said, upon that confession, I will build my church. And everyone who confesses that Jesus is the son of God is the foundation of the church. But no person. He made them all the church. They're all the church. And he can't just change the church all by himself. He must try at least to involve everyone that God has called. Peter also knows he's not the sole discerner of God's will. Hey, I had the dream, so I know what God wants. Peter remembers. This is, I wish we all could remember things like this. Peter also remembers. He didn't get this at first either. He himself was upside down like a week ago. So how can he judge other people for not getting it a week later? He doubted it at first. He had to have that vision on that rooftop three times before he would even come down and meet with those guys. And even then, he took six witnesses with him to see what was going to happen next, just in case he was losing it. Peter also knows his brothers and sisters in Jerusalem haven't experienced what he's experienced out in Caesarea. They didn't have three visions. They didn't see Gentiles speaking in tongues. So Peter doesn't give up hope that they might be persuaded to understand why he did what he did if he will just go and share the story of what he thinks God has done. And now we all have to wait to see what happens next. Will prejudice win? Will the church split? Who will end up the hero of this story? Who will end up the villain of this story? And once you get the labels on, will the hero even win? Is God the God of this upside down controversy? Verse 18. When the others heard this, they stopped objecting and began praising God. They said, we can see that God has also given the Gentiles the privilege of repenting of their sins and receiving eternal life. Well, now what just happened? They turned real fast. I thought these guys were prejudiced. I thought these guys were the villains. I thought these guys were the bad guys, the racists who were going to stop all this. Well, I thought wrong. Turns out everyone here was on the edge of their seat, just wanting to follow God. They just wanted to make sure they were getting it right. They wanted to make sure they weren't violating their own sacred text. They just wanted to make sure they had correctly understood what the king is calling them to. They may have been real thick and slow on the uptake, but they weren't villains. They were just trying to make sure they understood right what God was wanting them to do next in the world. They stayed together and God gave them a vision together. And God took them to a new place. No longer do followers of Jesus need to be separated from Gentiles to avoid the temptation to follow their God and follow their ways. They now, and we now, have Jesus Christ. They and we have the power of the Holy Spirit to guide them and to guide us. The captain has just turned off the no bacon sign. And you are free to roam around the kingdom spreading the good news that he is risen. He is risen indeed. What do you do when it's not clear, this passage tells us, 
when two parties disagree, but both are earnestly trying to follow God. What do you do when adults and adult parents don't agree about what church you're going to or not going to? What do you do when Christian in-laws and Christian extended family, you don't agree with something they're doing, they don't agree with something you're doing? What do you do when you and your spouse genuinely disagree about what's best to raise Christian children? And what do you do in a church, in a congregation that has a lot of thought and a lot of passion and a lot of love about a lot of important issues? Peter's model instructs us here how to get through this. First, affirm that everyone involved genuinely desires to follow God. Don't be eager to shout out, hero, villain. Second, affirm that everyone is going to discern this will of God together. No one of us is uh, the one person church. No one by title or anything else is given the right to be the sole discerner of what God wants for a congregation. Also, get used to this idea. This will be the most annoying part of all this. But uh, get used to this idea that when this process starts, both sides are going to believe that God is with them. And that, okay, we're going to hang out together and discern this, but after all the scriptures are read and all the prayers are prayed and all the stories are told, it's going to be the other person that has to change, not me. That's how everyone's going to think when this starts out. Just accept that. But if your first allegiance is truly to God, you will come to a point of holy indifference where you begin to say, God, I don't have to have my way. I just want what you want. I only trust you, even above myself. I trust you completely. Where you go, I'll go. Where you stay, I'll stay. Not my will, but yours be done. Here we are, our hearts are yours. Not my will, but yours be done. Holy indifference. Not that you don't care, but that you haven't already made up your mind what God wants. And now you just need a few Bible verses to prove you right and God to come along for the ride because you're leading the charge. That you're open to hear what God has to say to the church, even if at the end of it all, it might turn out to be me or it might turn out to be you that was upside down the whole time. And if it's really hard, as this was really hard for the church, pray that God will give us signs. Pray that God will give us visions. Pray that God will give us experiences that we can rally around and understand and have peace that we are following God together in a direction that He is leading us. So we're going to have a time of prayer for that right now. A prayer in song. And whatever arena of your life this scripture is touching right now, where you and someone who follows Christ sharply disagree and you're separated, we're going to use this song to pray that God will give us a common vision, some sort of experience that we can rally around to know that we are following him in peace and be rejoined with the ones we're separated from so that we can serve God together. This type of thinking took this from a disagreement that almost destroyed the church 
to the largest religion in the world. It's a pretty good track record for this kind of thinking and prayer. So as this song occurs, there's no wrong way to do this. You can stand and you can sing the song as your prayer. You can stand and just listen to the song as prayer. You can stay in your seat and sing the song. You can stay in your seat and listen to the song. You can kneel on the floor in front of your seat. You can sing the first half and in the second half, let the Spirit speak. You can let the Spirit speak for the first half and sing the second half. There's no wrong way as long as you're connected with God and praying for a vision that will reunite us with whoever it is in in our life that we're separated from that we should not be because we both proclaim that Jesus is Lord. Let us pray together. On a morning like this, when we've talked about disagreements, I, I do always like to end with the benediction of the Apostles' Creed, which reminds us of the profound agreements that we have, not just in our church, but with all Christians throughout the whole world and through all time. So uh, let us recite this together as our benediction to remind us of all that brings us together and what we have to share joyfully with the whole world. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, one holy church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sin, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Go forth in peace.